We now open Scripture together, and the passage of Scripture that we're going to look at is um, Philippians 4, and in relation to that, I'd like to read with you a passage from Philippians 2, which is Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, it's verses 1 through to 11. And I'd like to read this with you uh, because it points out to us that we are to have a mindset of humility to one another, which is the exact same mindset of humility that Christ has for us. And so, really Philippians 2, starting at verse 1, where Paul addresses us and he says, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, And the affection and sympathy complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God... Do not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The focus there is on verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. We now turn to our text, which is Philippians 4. We read the verses 2 to 9. In Langley, we're working through the book of Philippians, and this is the passage that we came to this morning. And here Paul addresses the church in Philippi, and he says, I entreat you, Odia, and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. So far, the reading of God's word may bless it in our hearing. Dear brothers and sisters of our Lord Jesus Christ, I'm not sure if you are 
aware when we read through that passage, but in this passage of Scripture, Paul actually gives us two very difficult commands. Verse 4, he gives us this command to rejoice in the Lord, not only just to rejoice in the Lord, but to rejoice in the Lord always. He also gives us another command, to not be anxious. It's verse 6, but not just don't be anxious, but do not be anxious about anything. You notice that Paul, he doesn't give these to us as good ideas. He doesn't give these to us as suggestions. He gives these to us as commands. Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious about nothing. Now, I'm not sure how familiar you are with the book of Philippians, um, but even if you don't know much about this book, I'm sure you know those words of verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Probably the most popular, the most well-known verses in this book. I can remember being a, a school kid and singing this in, in a choir once, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice, singing that with, with gusto. There are often times I wish I could take back time to those good old days because now often I look at this, I look at the command not to be anxious and I just realize so often I'm just stressed out, so often I'm, I'm not filled with joy but just filled with worry. It's one of these things, I'm an Australian, I grew up in Australia and we're meant to be sort of chilled out, happy-go-lucky guys, like she'll be right mate, it's fine, but I don't really live up to Australian stereotypes that much. When it's hot, I get sweaty. Um, <laughs> so I'm in BC, not Australia right now. And then it gets hot out here, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> Can't win. But um, yeah, it's not me. I'm not someone who can always be filled with joy. I'm often anxious. I'm often stressed. I just don't live up to that. And as a Christian, we're also called to rejoice always, to be anxious about nothing. I think as Christians, we're often filled with anxiety, we're often filled with worry. And so Paul gives us this command, it's a command to rejoice in the Lord, and it's almost like he expects some kickback, rejoice in the Lord always. How is that possible? Again, I'll say it, rejoice. It's a valid question that we ask, how is it possible to rejoice always? How is it possible to rejoice in every single circumstance that we're placed in. And the answer to that is that our joy isn't found in our circumstances, our joy is in the Lord. It's not rejoice in your circumstances, it's rejoice in the Lord. Our joy is found in the Lord. This world is filled with suffering and this world is filled with pain. We said it when we when we did the baptism just then, those words jumped out at me. This life is, is nothing more than a, a constant death. Um, and when you have a little baby, you realize that this poor little soul is going to go through a lot of suffering in life. I mean, it's something that every single one of us has experienced. Yeah. And yet, even though we know that there is suffering, there is an even greater joy, a joy not in circumstances, but a joy in the Lord, a joy in who the Lord is, a joy in who He is for us, a joy in, in His great heart, and a joy in how he, he has that heart for us. It's a joy that we have when we stand under the waterfall of God's blessings. Um, 
my mind just goes, goes back to Philippians, I mean to Ephesians 1. It's that beautiful passage of Scripture where Paul, he brings out this, this waterfall of blessings that it means to be a Christian, that we're blessed with being chosen by God, that we're blessed with being adopted by God, that we are blessed with receiving forgiveness in Christ's blood, that we are blessed with Him lavishing upon us all of His wisdom, that we're blessed with receiving the Holy Spirit who dwells in us now. The joy that we have is a joy that comes when we just stand underneath that waterfall and just let that waterfall of of blessings wash over us in our life, even when we're experiencing difficulties. We're going to be walking down a path, and Jesus makes it clear that 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 path that we're walking down, it's not called like joyful meadows or anything like that. It's, It's a path of sorrow. As Peter writes in one of his letters, do not be surprised at the fiery trials that will overtake you. We can expect there to be sorrow. We can expect there to be suffering in life. But we know that on that path, that whole, that entire path has been, it's been mapped out by Jesus. That he's removed any obstacle that's on that path that, that isn't good for us. And the ones that he's left there are there for our benefit and to build us up. We know that when we walk down that path, He is there. And when we can't walk anymore, He will lift us and He'll carry us and He'll continue to bring us home to Him. That's where our joy is. Our joy is in the Lord. It's a beautiful thing about about being a Christian. As a Christian, we are people who find joy. Joy not in circumstances, but joy in the Lord and joy in who God is. In fact, in this passage, Paul, he gives, us, he gives us three commands, actually, in verses 4 through to 6. The first is to rejoice in the Lord always. The second is to be reasonable or to be gentle to everyone. And the third is to be anxious about nothing. And what I'd like us to see this afternoon when we run through this, and, and it is a warm afternoon, so I'll try to run it through it fairly quickly with you as well. We did start late, too, so I won't, I'll try to be concise. I'll try not to be be sidetracked. But what I'd like us to see is that when we rejoice in the Lord, when our joy is in the Lord, we can be gentle to everyone and we can also be anxious about nothing. So we can be gentle about everyone, to everyone and we can be peaceful in everything. They're the two things that we're going to look at. I'm not sure, but um, for the IT guy at the back, is it easy to beam the text up now or not? Sorry to throw you. Perfect. Was it up there already? Yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Um, So when we look at this text, we see in verse 4, there's this command to rejoice in the Lord always. Have your joy, not in circumstances, but in who Jesus is. And then Paul, he goes on and he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. And we're like, what's the connection there between rejoicing in the Lord and being reasonable to everyone? There is a connection there. It's not, a, it's not obvious straight away. But when we unpack verse 5, we can understand this connection to joy. So in verse 5, we see that, that the Holy Spirit is calling us to be reasonable to everyone. That's the command. And the motivation is that the Lord is at hand. So there's a command and a motivation there. Sometimes when I, when I read Paul, I wish that he was sitting out here in church with us and I could ask him, Paul, what is it that you mean when you, when you say this? Because this is one of those cases 
That word used for reasonableness in the Greek is, is extremely rare. It's used about um, four other times in the New Testament, and every other time it's translated as gentleness. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. It's a calling to be gentle. And sometimes when the Bible doesn't give you much data to work with when you're trying to understand a word, you can also go back to ancient authors. And um, one of the ancient authors is a philosopher, Aristotle. And he actually writes a little bit on this word and he contrasts it with, with strict justice. And so for Aristotle, this, this gentleness, it's, it's actually contrasted with standing up for your rights all the time. So it's not insisting on your own rights. And that gets us exactly where we need to be. It gets us back to Philippians 2 verse 4, where we are commanded that each of us is not to look out for our own interests, but also the interests of others. Paul here is calling us to be gentle, to be considerate. In fact, he's just calling us to have that mind of Christ. Jesus, who was, who was willing to lay down his own convictions, his own, his own glory in heaven, everything that he enjoyed there, he just laid it down for us. He didn't think of his own interests, but he thought of our interests. And so that's the command that comes to us, to have that same humble, other-oriented, self-forgetting mind of Christ, be gentle, be considerate to everyone. And the motivation is that the Lord is at hand. So the motivation is that the Lord is coming, the Lord is coming soon. And this Jesus who was so humble and so self-abasing, he's going to come to you and he's going to expect you to have that same attitude. He's going to come to you and he's going to expect you to have shown gentleness to everyone. And there's not going to be any excuse that you can give. You can't say, you know what, he was so unlovable, or she was just so unkind, or you just don't know what type of person he was. Because Jesus, he'll just show you a photo of who you were before you knew him and said, I loved you and I gave up everything for you. You who sinned against me, you who wanted nothing to do with me, you who rebelled against me, and I showed you love. So you also be gentle and gracious and kind to everyone. And that's the connection to our joy being in the Lord. We can only have this gentle attitude to everyone when our joy is in the Lord. Because there are some people who it's just really hard to be gentle, to be kind, to be considerate to. And yet, when we think of who Jesus is, and who He is for us, when we think of that waterfall of blessings that He pours down on us undeservingly, that He would love us, like He would love me of all people, it helps me to look at every single one of you and think, yes, I want to love you, and I want to serve you, and I want to bring you to know Jesus more. Like, you all look like beautiful people, but if, I'm sure if I got to know you, there'd be some characters here. I mean, <laughs> there's, there's one character here up the front, that's me. Um, if you got to know me, I look all right in my Sunday clothes, but you come to me when I come home and I've got to look after my boys and it's just tough and you look at me and you see, yeah, this Aiden guy, he's a character as well like the rest of us. But when, you're, when your joy is in the Lord and when your joy is in who God is, you can be reasonable, you can be considerate, you can, be, you can lay yourself down for anyone no matter who they are. And it's so important that we, that we do this as a church 
It's really important that as a church we are this way because at Philippi they were having some problems doing this. This brings us to to verses 2 through to 3 where Paul is talking to these two ladies, Euodia and Syntyche. He's calling them to agree in the Lord. We don't know much about these two women, um, but we do know that they were disagreeing with each other. We also know that they were, they were pillars in the church. They had labored in the gospel. They were, they were working with Paul for the gospel in Philippi, but now they were no longer laboring for the gospel. They had this, they had this disagreement. We don't know what they disagreed about. Maybe it was a personal disagreement. Maybe it was theological. Maybe it was ethical. We just, we just don't know. Paul doesn't say. But we do know that they disagreed over something. And Paul, he calls them to agree in the Lord. It's verse 1, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Literally, the Greek there is to be of one mind in the Lord. Now, it's important that we go into what this means. Um, We'll get back to why it's important in a minute, but please just follow along with me now. Um, It's important for us that we that we dig into, into what it means to, to agree in the Lord or to, to be of one mind in the Lord. I think to be of one mind in the Lord means firstly that we're to stand together on the same foundation. That, that the Lord is, is our foundation, our basis. Who He is, what He's done for us, and what He's doing in us. That is the foundation on which we agree together. We would say that, that, that our foundation when we, when we come together is Scripture that we sit down and when there's a disagreement, we, we open Scripture, we search Scripture and we, and we find the answer. We agree in, in the Lord. We don't say, you know what, like I told you so. But we say, you know what, Jesus told us both so. And the Scripture is our foundation. That's, um, that's the first thing about what it means to agree in the Lord. And the second really important thing is not only to have the same foundation, but the same attitude that attitude of Christ that we were speaking of before, that attitude of gentleness, kindness, and being considerate to each other. That when there is a disagreement, we, we don't draw battle lines, but instead we, we try to, to come to, to lay ourselves down for our brothers and sisters in Christ. When we try to put aside our convictions for our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we have to keep in mind that being on one mind in the Lord involves these two things, the same foundation and the same attitude. And now, at Philippi, there was a problem. And now, I don't think this problem applies at Pathway. You guys are sort of still in your honeymoon phase. You're just starting out. You're getting along fine. Like, COVID restrictions can come, and all these other churches are sort of at loggerheads with each other, but you're like, we're Pathway, we're we're starting out, we love each other. And you can sort of chart a direction together, at least... These are the vibes that I'm getting from out in Langley. If I'm mistaken, just leave me ignorant. Um, because it's, I just think Pathway, yeah, that's beautiful. But, um, but back to Philippi, away from Pathway for a moment. Um, he, was, he was Philippi, and these, they, they, this was a church that wasn't in their honeymoon phase anymore. They'd been together for like at least 15 years or so, and they were having problems getting along. Now, their problem wasn't the foundation, agreeing in the Lord. Um, the, the problem wasn't that foundation of, of standing fast to Scripture. When Paul's talking about this difficulty that these two ladies are having, um, 
He's very careful not to pick sides with them. He actually repeats a verb, which is really rare for Paul to do. He says, I entreat Euodia, then he repeats the verb, I entreat Syntyche, like, I'm entreating both of you. You can't read into my language that I'm leaning towards one side and not the other. They didn't have a problem with the foundation. They were both searching Scripture. But their problem was in their attitude, their attitude to each other. They didn't have this attitude of love where where Euodia could could lay down her convictions for Syntyche. They didn't have this attitude of love where Euodia would say, you know what, I think this should be done this way, but I'll, I'll count my sister's interests more worthy than my own. They were drawing these, these battle lines between each other. And so it was that they used to be, be laboring side by side. They were in Philippi and they were like, this is awesome. Jesus is building a house here in Philippi. I'm a living stone, you're a living stone. Let's go out and get some more living stones and let's build this house. They're getting super excited for this. And they were, they were working hard. They were laboring side by side with Paul, building up this house. But then all of a sudden they had a problem. Today their problem would be that the price of wood increased and all of a sudden Euodia decided that studs should be set, uh, set aside not like 16 inches apart, but 24 inches apart. And so is like, no way, we're not going to do that. We've got to keep them at 16 inches apart, not 24. Like, you're spreading yourself thin now. And then soon enough, they're firing their nailing guns at each other and the whole job site's just, just a war zone. And no longer is this house of Christ in Philippi being built up, but it's being torn apart because they cannot be considerate for each other, because they don't have that attitude, because they don't have this heart of love. They can't agree in the Lord. So that's what we're called to do. Remember that. Speak the truth in love. When you get beyond this honeymoon phase, just continue to speak the truth in love. Be willing to, to lay down your convictions for a brother and sister in Christ. Don't stand on what you think is right after you've searched the Scriptures together. Just be willing to to lay yourself down. Just keep that with you. It's so important because for Bible-believing churches like us, we're so good on the foundation, but sometimes we forget that we have to speak the truth in love. So that brings us through to verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone, the Lord is at hand. It takes us to verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. You know what? I think we're often filled with worry. We're often filled with, with anxiety as Christians. I know for myself, I certainly am. It's really cute. Our, our youngest, his name's Pierre, he's two years old, and he's just started to talk. And his vocabulary is just always increasing, and, and his new word is worry. And so we, we take him, and we're changing his diaper, and we have him on his, on his change mat, which is on his dresser, and he's sitting on the edge there, and he's looking down the edge, and, and, and he looks at us, and he says, wowie, wowie, wowie. He's really scared. So don't worry, Pierre, Dad's here. Don't worry, I'm never going to drop you. And I think for us, we have that same thing. We're, we're sitting on the edge sometimes when we're looking at our life and we know there's, there's difficulty ahead and there's, there's a road to walk that we really don't want to walk. In, in, in Langley right now, we've got a, a long-time member who's actually just moved up out um, to Smithers, but he's got a lot of family in our church and, and his road's looking tough. He's got a diagnosis of cancer. I'm sure a lot of you know him, Colin Van Delft. 
and his road looks tough, and he's sitting on the edge. He's not saying, worry, worry, worry. He's trusting in Jesus. But if I was sitting where he was, I would be saying, I'm worried. God says, don't worry. I'm your father. I'm there. I'm not going to let you fall. Don't be anxious. Be anxious about nothing. And he gives us here, the Holy Spirit gives us the antidote to anxiety. The antidote to anxiety that he gives us is prayer. He tells us there, in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. To be anxious about nothing means to be prayerful about everything. To be anxious about nothing means to cast your burdens upon God. I wonder if some of you have it that you pray. You cast your burdens on God and, and you realize that as you go through the day, your burden actually hasn't gone. You're still carrying it with you. You pray, but it doesn't change anything for you. And I think that our problem is that we don't really know how to cast our burdens upon God properly. We're like school kids when you come home and you've, you've got a heavy backpack and you dump that backpack down at the door and you say, hey, mom, I'm home, and you keep walking through. We do that with our prayers in the morning. We come before God and we say, hey, I'm anxious, and, and you keep walking through and you think you're going to be okay. But what Paul does in this passage, actually, he uses four, um, four words for prayer. He uses the word prayer and then supplication and thanksgiving and requests. Now, a lot of them are, similar, are synonyms. We ask ourselves, Paul, why are you repeating yourself here? And the reason that Paul repeats himself here is because he wants to show us what it means to cast our burdens upon God. It doesn't mean to just dump that backpack down and keep walking, but it means to, to put that backpack down and then to reach in and to unpack every single one of our concerns, to unpack it, to unwrap it, to lay it down before God, to pray over it, to talk to Him about it, to cry with Him about it, to to take each and every concern out individually and, and bring that before him. God, I'm, I'm worried and I'm anxious because of this and this is why it fills me with worry and, and this is why it fills me with anxiety. You know, I've only started to do this this past week properly. Like, I've just started a prayer chart and it's, it's like, what am I anxious about? And, I, and then I, I bring that before God properly, just, 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 ex, just expound each and every anxiety, each and every concern. But I don't stop there because Paul doesn't stop there. He goes on, he says, you don't unpack, just unpack your anxieties before God, but you've also got to fill yourself with something. You've got to fill your mind with something. And that's the second part of my, of my prayer chart. It's, it's filling my mind. Paul goes on in verse 8. If we could jump to that, please. If we could jump on to verse 8. Verse 8 there, Paul, he goes on and he, and he tells us that we also have to think. He tells us that we have to think about what is true, what is honorable, what is just, what is pure, what is lovely, what is commendable, what is excellent, what is worthy of praise. So when we're praying, we're not only unloading, but we're also loading ourselves up. We're also filling ourselves with this meditation on who God is. And you know, that's where we go back to the joy again. It's like we stand under that waterfall of, of Ephesians 1 and we let that fill us. We let that drench us and soak us right down to our heart that God has adopted me, that God has chosen me, that I am his child, that he has given me his spirit, that I've got forgiveness of sins, that I am his. And you just let that soak right 
through to your being and you fill yourself with that. And you let those truths speak to you in your anxiety. I'm sitting on the edge and I'm worried, worried, worried. But God's mapped out my path. He knows every, every, every single turn. Jesus has walked down my path all the way home to himself. And he's removed every obstacle that's not good for me. And when I run out of energy, I can just cast myself on him and he'll carry me. Just fill yourself with those truths as you come before God. And then the God of peace will be with you. Or as Paul says in verse 7, the peace of God will guard your hearts and your minds in Jesus Christ. It's then that you will be filled with peace, that it will, it will guard you, it will garrison you, and God will be with you. And so we see that we have this, this command that just seems crazy. Rejoice in the Lord always. How do we rejoice always? Not in our circumstances, in who God is, in who Jesus is. And when our joy is in Jesus, we can, we can be reasonable to everyone. Everyone, honeymoon periods, they don't, they don't go, they stay. We can also be anxious about nothing as we unpack our anxieties before him and then fill us with his truth, fill our minds with his truth. Then we can have peace. So let me leave you with a question. I, I really don't know the circumstances that any one of you are in. Some of you could be going through a super tough time right now. Some of you have a, have a really hard week ahead of you. I don't know. Maybe no one else here knows, but you keep it to yourself. My question is, when you come into this week, anxiety or joy, if you've made Jesus your joy, you can come into this week and you can be filled with peace. Amen.